de-daved him. I'll de-dave them all. They'll think it's D-Day around here, damn them. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right, and we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are, and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get get started. Hello and welcome to Moonlighting the Podcast. Hi, Shauna. Hi, Grace. How are you today? I'm good. I've been busy, busy, busy doing a lot of research on My Fair David. How are you and how was your week? Yeah, my week was great and even better. I'm enjoying this great episode of Moonlighting. Lots to talk about on this one, I think. Yes, a very funny episode. My Fair David first aired on the 29th of October 1985. It was directed by Will McKenzie. It was written by Bruce Franklin Singer, and the guest stars were Barbara Bain, Robert Joy, and Will Nye. Synopsis of My Fair David. After Maddie walks in on a limbo contest in the office between David and her employees, she has a wager with David that he can't behave like a mature adult for one week. If he loses, he must fire two employees, whereas if she loses, she must limbo in front of all the staff. Following this, a very rich client walks in, a woman whose stepson, who is a gifted concert pianist, has been kidnapped and the kidnappers want $100,000 for the return of her son. She has come to them so that they can negotiate for her son's life and built-in incentives for them if they get him back cheaply. When they go to drop off the money, they find out that her son is the actual kidnapper. Maddie and David agree not to tell the mother that they have reached an agreement with her son and that he is the kidnapper. However, they are both shocked to find that he has been kidnapped again the very next day. The effort to act so maturely takes its toll on David, which in turn changes the office atmosphere for the worse, as all the employees turn against Maddie. Maddie then has a change of heart and wants her old David back. Mm, Yeah, I don't know if um, him being mature was taking a toll so much on him or taking a toll on Maddie. She seemed like she was getting more irritated than he was with it. But we'll get to that. Yes, I think it was definitely taking a toll on both of them somehow. Yeah, definitely. And and the uh, office staff. Nobody was happy. 
Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the reference. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, the title My Fair David is in reference to a movie made in 1964 called My Fair Lady, which is a musical drama film adapted from the 1956 Lerner and Lowe stage musical based on a George Bernard Shaw 1913 stage play called Pygmalion. The film starred Audrey Hepburn as Eliza Doolittle and Rex Harrison as Henry Higgins. The reason for the reference is that the story is about a poor cockney flower seller named Eliza Doolittle, who is a subject of a bet. An arrogant phonetics professor, Henry Higgins, wages that he can teach her to speak proper English, thereby making her presentable in high society of Edwardian London. This film was a critical and commercial success. It became the second highest grossing film of 1964 and it won eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Director. In 1998, the American Film Institute named it the 91st greatest American film of all time. Ah, let's start from the top. So the scene opens on Robert Joy Clark watching American football, and he's in his dressing room before his concert, and then he gets a knock at the door, and some henchmen come in. Some very scary looking guys. They want money, but he doesn't have money because he's got a gambling problem and he doesn't have the money to pay them off. Now, from the commentary, I remember Will McKenzie saying that he had to reshoot this opening. Do you remember him talking about that, Grace? No. Tell us all about it. Okay. I guess he shot the scene one day. And then when they looked at it in the dailies, they weren't happy with how it was shot. And I think it was one of Will McKenzie's, well, it was the first time he directed on Moonlighting. I don't know um, if he was a fairly new director outside of that because, uh, yeah, we'll find out more when we hear his resume. But he said what he learned is when you're shooting bad guys, shoot them low because they look more intimidating. So I guess he felt like, oh, gosh, they're going to fire me on this one. You know, um, they didn't like the first scene I shot. And they're making me reshoot it, but he reshot it. And if you do notice, and many times throughout this episode, I was noticing the camera angles and the camera was low a lot of times, even, you know, besides this first opening scene, but he shot it low. So the guys looked a little bit more like taller, broader, more intimidating and things like that. So kind of interesting. I'd like to see what the first take looked like, but uh, yeah, they did a a good job of um, throwing him around, messing up the dressing room breaking things and then breaking his nose. Yeah, I know what you mean about the camera angle. I did notice that, the camera low looking up, yeah, to make them look bigger than what they are (laughs) as far as characters and and size. Yeah, with those camera angles. I understand why they did it on the bully guys, the henchmen or whatever, but they also shot Robert Joy from, you know, below. And if you're doing that camera angle to make the other guys look bigger and, you know, meaner, why do it on Robert Joy? You know, mm-hmm. but you, you think you'd want to make him look small. I suppose oh, the way yeah. they did that was have very tall gentlemen <laughs> come into the room. Um, because yeah. I think that one of the henchmen, his name's Billy Drago, and he's like six foot three. So it wasn't mm-hmm. hard for yeah. to make Robert Joy look short, even from a lower yeah. angle, because they were pretty tall. Yeah, and, and Robert Joy, I think, is kind of a slight guy. I don't know how tall he is, but he doesn't look like, you know, he's not that big of a guy. But, yeah, I guess a, um, an interesting dynamic of this. He's a piano player. He looks unassuming, but he's kind of a guy who likes to live his life in a messy way. We're kind of finding out quickly. 
he's not all that intimidated by them in a way. They were asking what he wanted broken, right? And they mentioned his fingers and he kind of was like, eh, not the fingers. <laughs> That's um, right. Don't want to mess with the fame and the fortune. Yeah. Got to make money somehow. If they take away the fingers, they're not going to make any money. So mm-hmm. With Robert Joy, he's actually well known for doing Land of the Dead in 2005, The Hills Have Eyes in 2006, and Alien versus Predator Requiem in 2007. He was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. By the looks of it, he has quite a, a long resume as far as acting credits. He's got 140 acting credits, and it looks like he's still working. There's a TV series called Julia, and that's the last thing I can see that he's done. Looks like his career began in 1974, a lot of TV shows, picket fences. He just played small roles in a lot of TV shows. It looks like the longest stint was something in 2002 called MDs. Oh, he was in Everybody Loves Raymond in 2004. Hmm. I've got to find that episode. He was in Medium in 2005. Oh, there you go. Wasn't he in Desperately Seeking Susan? I thought Bruce said in the commentary also that um, Robert Joy got the part that Bruce was originally going for in Desperately Seeking Susan. Do you see that on there? Oh, really? I don't remember Robert Joy in it. Um, I remember the bad guy, the blonde guy. Oh, what was his name? I always remember him. He was always on Madonna's trail in the movie. I can see his face and I always forget his name. Yeah. Oh, is it um, Will? Yeah, I can see his face now. Yeah, the blonde guy. Yeah, he was a great bad guy. He was a great Mm. bad bad, bad guy in it. But um, I just can't think of the Uh, guy's name. But anyway, are you looking it up? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm not. He was in Madonna Celebration, the video collection in 2009. Um, See, he did um, a long stint in... um, of course, that's where I recognise him from. See, uh, he's in CSI New York. Ah, what year? Um, to, well, it says in 2013, he plays Sid Hammerback. He did 165 episodes. I think he's a coroner. Gosh, I didn't watch oh that. Oh, my so. God. It's just dawned on me where I know him from. That's crazy. Um, so okay, so Grey's Anatomy, The Mentalist, The Good Wife. Um, yeah, so, and he's still working. So, well done, Robert Joy. Okay, wait, I'm looking at Desperately Seeking Susan. Robert Joy was in that. He played Jim, so it maybe had a smaller role. And Aidan Quinn, is that who you're thinking of? No, no. Uh, Aidan Quinn was, um, I think Aidan Quinn was a one of the boyfriends or something. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, his name's that Will guy? something. His name's Will uh, Will, Will Patton. Will Patton, that's him. Yeah. I thought oh, okay. that was I thought that was the role he was going for. Yeah, Will Patton's a really bad guy in in this. He's really good. Mm. And also, he's actually in Armageddon with uh, Bruce Willis. Ah, okay. Mm. All right, all sorts of connections. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, whenever someone gets hit on moonlighting and they show up um, you know, a minute later with a black eye. <laughs> I always think of a line from Moonlighting later in the season where David tells one of the um, the women, it it takes more than a few minutes to go from whack to black and blue. Do you remember later season uh, three? I think he says that to um, 
some one of the guest stars. But anyway, um, Robert Joy gets hit in his dressing room and then he shows up on stage a few minutes later and, you know, he's got a broken nose. And I mean, it's the lighting is so you can't see it too much, but it looks like he already has black eyes, you know. So that always just makes me laugh when someone gets hit and a minute later they're all black and blue. It came up pretty um, quick, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really developed quick. <laughs> but uh, he's got this visual, you know, at a pianist concert that can't look good, you know, for your piano player to like have a bandaged nose. So, yeah, not, not the crowd for it, really. No, not appropriate for that particular audience. What did you think of the choice of music? Um, you can't always get what you want. Mm-hmm. What do I think of the choice of music? Like the song, don't really see how it fits the scene. What do you think? Yeah, actually, it's the only thing that annoys me about this episode. Actually, no, it's not the only thing that annoys me about this episode. There's quite a few things which I'll go through that don't quite sit with me, but um, I don't get the song. I don't get it. Like, personally, all right, maybe it's because I don't really like the song, Mm -hmm. but you can't always get what you want. Yeah, well, maybe that applies to him because he's a compulsive gambler, which I don't understand. It's not because he has, doesn't have any money because he's a concert pianist, but obviously he spends more than what he's earning. So I don't know. I would have picked a better, a better song for this intro. I haven't thought about what song I would prefer, but I just I don't see how it fits into this scene. Yeah. And, you know, I think he is someone who he can't always get what he wants because mommy always bails him out with her money. You know, he Mm. comes from a wealthy family. Yeah. And he gambles it away. And he's, you know, this kind of spoiled concert pianist. And he kind of likes the danger of it all. And yeah, isn't he kind of, yeah, I don't see how the song fits. And it also, the tone of the song it makes me think of like an episode of like Little House in the Prairie or Walton's or something. I don't know. It just sets this tone. It's like not dated tone, but another era or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's not, it's not a song. It doesn't go with it. And maybe they were just happy that they got a rolling. Is it Rolling Stones song? Yeah. It's Rolling Stones. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they were just happy that they got a Rolling Stones song or something. Maybe they just wanted to throw that in there. I don't know. Yeah. I would love to know whose choice that was. And why they chose that song. Yes, the sound of a a choir, you know, it's it would have been more suited to the episode All Creatures Great and Not So Great. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um I don't know what song I would have preferred, but it never sets the right tone for mm. me. Yeah. I would have put more sort of nasty music. <laughs> nasty sounding music, you know. Right. What was that song that the punk rocker was uh, running to in the pilot? I don't know, something like that. Maybe, I don't know. I oh, yeah. Was, but, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, odd choice. But uh, I do like when he sits down and plays the piano and that music then leads into the limbo rock. That transition I like. Yeah, that transition was really good. He goes, and then it goes straight to Bruce singing the yeah. limbo. It just kind of picks up that same tone. It's And that's perfect. That's a perfect transition. Gosh, yeah. And what a classic scene of moonlighting. Oh, yeah, this limbo rock um, with David is just classic moonlighting. I mean, I really feel that after Money Talks, Maddie Walks, dream sequence is a defining episode. It is the threshold into 
real moonlighting. <laughs> we are fully formed characters. We know our characters. Bruce is not fumbling around trying to find his character anymore. He's fully stepped into it. Maddie's Maddie. David's David. Everyone, you know, knows their roles and, and Blue Moon is in full swing. Very exciting. It is very exciting because you've got him fully formed, singing. He's right into his character. Sybil's right into her character. We've got the door slams. We've got the rhymes. It's all happening now. Yes, it moves so fast and and it's fun. And get started as soon as kind of transition into the limbo rock. It takes off like a rocket after that and doesn't stop until the end. And this is an episode that... Many, you know, sometimes we in the Facebook group and stuff like that, we talk about what's a good first episode for someone to watch. If you want, if someone hasn't seen Moonlighting before, but you want to introduce them to Moonlighting, this is kind of the quintessential classic like Moonlighting episode. It's got every piece of the pie, it's got a bit of everything. Yeah. So, David, you know, and yeah, just again, like the David Addison character is loud and brash and crazy and very unapologetic everything we love about him that's our david he's back (laughs) until she de-daves him (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's a great scene with all the staff a great scene the camera is lower down on the ground and looking up at david and you can see the ceiling lights I love his hip thrusts, the way he moves his legs and <laughs> he's singing the limbo. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing some great narrating, you know, the smell of an armpit, the roar of a crowd. And he says it again. This is a great moment in Sports or One. Oh, yeah, that's all right, the third time. And he's got his Ray-Bans on. Those are classic David. Yeah, just everything about it. A lot of fun. Seeing more of the office workers, you know, Mr. Pesto, them interacting with David, get more of their relationship. And... He's trying to keep the staff entertained. And I love how poor Mr. Pesto's holding that huge ghetto blaster. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Yeah. I just want to talk about the the names. The guy under the rack that goes under, he calls him Simmons, and that's Will Nye, but that wasn't the same Simmons and Lewis from what episode was it when they were fighting? That was... Um, few episodes ago anyway um uh, lady in the iron mask oh lady in the iron mask okay so simmons and lewis are not the same simmons and lewis that are in this episode lewis in this episode is the one that falls down at the end of the scene when maddie walks in and he's a young guy anyway mm-hmm. so with will nye i always recognize him because he was a dopey police officer in murder she wrote okay yeah, he was a great addition to Murder, She Wrote. He was just a dopey police officer. He was really hilarious. That would have been around the same time as this, actually. Okay. Yeah, and he always plays sort of a dopey character. Okay. <laughs> Got a good face for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's good. Yeah, he doesn't have to say anything, yeah. so, yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah, he kind of has that perfect look. Yes. And enter Maddie. Yes. A slam of the door ruins a good time. The look on her face, though, how good is it? How great. Her sigh, her look. She's just giving him daggers. A great shot. and But at the same time, she looks so beautiful. Yeah, and we see that, you know, little sheen of a filter that Jerry Finnerman liked to put over her, you know, kind of like haze her a little bit, make her look very angelic. 
so um, Bruce and Will McKenzie do the commentary. And when Bruce sees Sybil in this scene, he says, so cute. Yeah, look, uh, I don't know why, but the way they've lit this scene, looking at her, I can't explain her facial expression. She's angry, but it's a nice angry. Does that make sense? <laughs> Maybe is she like more disappointed? Yeah, she's she's like, oh, I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of disappointment. It's her place of business and they're playing around. She's paying all these people and she's not getting any return for this payment. Right. So that's what I was wondering. In the life of the series, over the last couple episodes, you know, we have them going to Buenos Aires and him helping her out of that situation with Sawyer. And then we have the dream sequence where we see them fighting quite a bit. Mm. Um, in the beginning and yeah by the time we get to my fair david but you know also in episodes before that they're just kind of trying to work together to build the business yeah she doesn't think that he takes life seriously enough and she gets frustrated with him but in this episode it seems to be like her frustration seems to be like heightened more like is she getting is she seeing that what she's seeing that david isn't becoming more mature well obviously because that's the whole plot point is she just not getting out of David what she wants? Are they not um, getting enough business? You know, I, I know she's frustrated. The employees aren't busy enough. They don't have enough work to do. It's a lot of wasted money. So is Maddie frustration with everything building from this episode? I think she's at the end of her tether. It's mm-hmm. taken her seven months, as she says later, of this back and forth, back and forth, trying to keep this agency afloat. And she walks in and, yeah. and she sees this. now. Yeah. In reality, if you saw this, wouldn't you lose your, like, like I would lose my mind, right? <laughs> well, her best point is, what if I were a client? What exactly. if a client walked through the door? Yeah, it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And they're not going to want Blue Moon Investigations taking their case. So I'm going to talk about the commentary a lot in this, but even in the commentary, Bruce said, um, you know, this is the craziness of moonlighting. She's totally right. He's totally wrong. But we move forward, you know, Yeah. but we still have a show. He says, oh, hiya, boss. Back from the dentist so soon? Yeah. This is where he says what you said. He mentions Dr. Yep. Fishbine from the previous episode that we spoke about. Dr. Fishbine, aim a little higher with the Novocaine. So what's he saying? Is your brain numb that you can't talk? Yeah, exactly. Brain or just mouth. Um, yeah, she's not saying anything. I guess maybe he's expecting her to like yell and scream, be more angry, but Yeah, it's almost worse, you know, when someone doesn't say something, when they're so, maybe she is like so angry, she can't even speak, you know, just so disappointed. She doesn't even know what to say anymore. Like, David, you know, they're supposed to be mom and dad. And here dad is playing with the kids and he's supposed to be setting an example. But yeah, again, that's what the whole episode is about. So she says no and walks off and goes into her office and slams the door again. There's a lot of door slams in this episode, peeps. Um, oh yeah but he says hang loose kids she got a hair appointment on thursday (laughs) oh my god (laughs) now (laughs) would he really know that oh i love that he knows her schedule you know (laughs) (laughs) we hope you're enjoying listening to moonlighting the podcast and for all you devoted moonlighting fans out there we now have moonlighting merchandise Check it out at redbubble.com slash people slash moonpod2016. 
Or is he just saying that to be silly? Like this will happen again. You know, that's the thing. She's pissed off, but he's unapologetic. You know, he's just like, mm. oh, get over it. I really like how he enters the office. Yoo-hoo, talking through the toilet paper roll. <laughs> oh, God, he's just making it worse. And Maddie's sitting there and she's just shaking her head and there is steam coming out of her ears, I'll tell you, because she's had enough now. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure she just hates that he's not coming in with his tail between his legs. She's waiting for an apology and he comes in making more jokes. Yeah, that's true. He, yeah, you're right. He he doesn't come in thinking, oh, God, I'm in trouble now. I don't want to go in there. He's like, yeah, yeah, what's happening? You know, you got steam coming out of your ears or whatever he says. He's got a different attitude to what she expects him to have when he walks in. Yeah, I guess to him, it's totally justified. You know, he is trying to keep the employees happy, entertained. And she's like, why? Get rid of them. You know, we don't have cases. I'm paying these people. Why are you trying to have fun and frolic um, out there, you know, in our main office with when a client could walk in at any moment you know she just doesn't understand it at all he thinks he's totally justified on it though yeah but I mean how can he possibly say to her nobody could be that self-involved that humorless oh my gosh I know it's her business that's <laughs> yeah that's self-involved David you're being self-involved yeah no one could have that bigger stick up there and then she interrupts I know. Him. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then she just kind of lets him have it yeah is that what you call it Thrills and spills. And now he says magic and myrrh, thrills and spills, love and laughter. Yeah, kind of to me, it harkens like Love Boat a little bit or these other, you know, kind of love boaty shows that were on at the time. Spills and thrills, love and laughter. I don't know. There's something in that that almost seems like it was a Love Boat commercial or something like that. Magic and mirth, thrills and spills, love and laughter. You think this is funny? I like how she says. Yeah. What if I had been a client? What if you had been a client? What if I had been a client, a potential client, and walked in here and saw that band of zombies we call employees out there doing your revival of Zulu? What do you think I would have thought? You're doing your revival of Zulu. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good movie, by the way, Zulu. Just thought I'd mention that. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a tribe. I'm not sure where, but there's a tribe. They do the wedding dance in the movie. So I think that's what she's referring to. He's really trying to divert this conversation and trying to make her forget by telling really bad jokes about the 90-year-old who walks into a sperm bank and God. and do you know what hurts the most? <laughs> you get a pimple yeah. in your nose and you got a blow. <laughs> Ouch. That does hurt. It sounds like it would hurt. Um, it's so good. Another one for the censors that I'm surprised I got past where she said, um, what would the client think? And he said, what is that man doing on the floor having sex with himself? Yes. So I didn't write anything down about that, but I don't get the premise. I don't get what, what is he trying to say? Just like how, yeah, Simmons was limboing, maybe the the movement of limboing or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a typical David sexual innuendo. I don't think it makes like total sense, but. And you're right. I don't know how they got that past. Yeah. You know, maybe it was a late episode. They couldn't uh, take it all the things that they didn't approve of. So she begins a dialogue about she's done all the changing, whereas he's stayed the same and he hasn't met her in the middle. Mm. I'm really surprised here how he gets so angry and walks out. I love his responses to what she says. I love everything that he says back to her. It really cracks me up. Yeah, it's so funny. But yeah, I know. And then like, yeah, he's not seeing her point of view at all and just getting 
angry and upset. He truly doesn't understand like why she's so mad about it all. You know, when they're just trying to have a little fun and that's it. And he thinks that she's just being an old wet blanket. The other thing I thought of too is they've got this ghetto blaster going. Wouldn't the other officers in the building lose their minds? Yeah, really. Because <laughs> of the sound? Yeah. <laughs> Either that or right. come and join in. Right, yes. Yeah, one of the things, um, some of my favorite things um, during her, I've made an effort, you know, to be looser, let my hair down, whatever. And he's like, me too. He's made an effort to, you know, uh, loosen up. And um, he's like, you know, you're the same person you were when I walked in here, you know, all those months ago. And he's like, that's why these clothes still fit. And yeah, just <laughs> like, there's one other like good line that he comes back at her with. I can't remember it offhand, but. Everything he says back to her is just like not giving a crap. But what hurts the most is that I have done all the changing. I have done all the accepting. Really? I think you'd find it hard to refute that I've become more easygoing, more jovial, more devil may care. Yeah, you're a regular Jan Murray. Oh, yeah, you're a regular so Jan Murray, yes. This is where it's tipped him over the edge now. He's angry. But I want to know who Jan mm-hmm. Murray is. I know, you know, that is someone I have looked up before and now I... So I'll have to look it up again. There's a lot of little references. Got it. So Jan Murray was an American stand-up comedian. There you go. That's pretty much all you need to know. Okay. You're a regular cool. Jan Murray. And he storms out. Yes. And I think that does catch Maddie off guard a little bit, that he storms out. And you know what? There's This scene reminds me, they try to repeat this scene later in Moonlighting. I don't know if we want to, how far we want to get into things like that. But mm-hmm. um, when she says, David, I'm not through haranguing yet. Does that remind you of a scene? I think it's in a womb of a view actually when he walks out of her office and she says something similar, but anyway, it reminds me of something later in the series, but anyway, yeah, she kind of follows him and the office is watching all of this take place. Of course. He walks out of the office, leaves the door open. She runs through the office area stops yeah. because they're all looking at her and haven't you got anything yeah. better to do? And they all nod. <laughs> Yeah, they all shake their heads. Well, you know, at least her employees are honest. They're not making out they're yeah. working. <laughs> True, yeah, they don't, they don't even pretend. That's what probably also pisses her off. When David storms into his office, he get another door slam, right? Yeah, but it's two door slams in one. His? No, no, no. No, she walks through hers because he leaves the door open. Yeah, when he goes okay. to his office, she slams both of them. She opens both and slams both. So I counted that as two. Yeah, I did too. I did too. But when he leaves Maddie's office and he storms across and he goes into his office, he slams the door. Okay. No, I don't think he does. No, he he doesn't slam the door? Let me look at my... Let me look at my notes as well. Did it count? No, no. He leaves her office and leaves the door open. But when he goes into his office, he slams the door. So then she comes into his office, opens both doors, and then slams both of them. Yes. That, okay. That's exactly what I was trying to uh, yeah. to see. So yeah, we get like three all in the space of about 10 seconds there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as Moonlighting fans, we are loving life right now. I know. I know. Yes. All this like storming and uh, slamming and screaming and oh my goodness, it's just a classic episode of Moonlighting here. Oh, it's really great how the camera is behind Maddie following her to his office. That's yeah. a good shot. Yes. When she enters his office and slams the door, I just think 
this scene must have taken a long time to film. I get the sense this is a very long dialogue driven scene between the two of them, a lot of back and forth, a lot of different camera angle setups, a lot of them sitting in different positions. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a really long scene in his office, like one of the longer scenes that we've had up to this point. I don't know why, but I get the feeling that it took a long time to film. Do you get that sense at yeah. all? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I got that impression too. Yeah. A lot of quick dialogue up and back. There were a lot more complicated shots and um, quite a few cuts. I think this scene would have been quite time-consuming. Yeah. But but very well done. Will McKenzie did a great job on this episode. I mean, I noticed this in a lot of Moonlighting, you know, just how they shoot the scenes. And it was kind of interesting, actually, when we had Glenn on and he said he encouraged directors to do a good master, you know, and not worry so much about the like intercutting between them because you have yeah. to ask the, the viewers to rejoin you. But I notice a lot in Moonlighting that they do, um, they always do a master, yes, but then they do an over the shoulder, over the shoulder, close up, close up, you know, it's more than that. Like they really do have to do these scenes and shots over and over again. And remember it was a single camera. That's why I assume it would have been very time consuming. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, just over and over and over again, like, yeah, I think a scene like this it gives such kudos to cast and crew because these would be the long ones, the long ones to do. All the different setups, all the fast dialogue. Oh, gosh, you really got to be on point. And, you know, as Sybil said in one of her commentaries, it was like diving off a cliff for her and Bruce. They got to be right in sync. And it was a song. It's like the dialogue yeah. was a song and they had to meet at the same time yeah. at the end. Yeah, I really noticed that more now that Glenn pointed that out in the interview as well, yeah. you know, that it was very yeah. musical. It's actually similar to when I'm editing this podcast where I've got to put the music in a certain place so that it meets up with the end. The way they did it was so well orchestrated anyway. Art. So David is silently furious in this scene and she's openly yeah. furious. Mm, yeah. You Good. walked out of my office. Yeah. You got it, Sherlock, with another reference to Sherlock Holmes. And she says something too, like she, exactly like she said in the pilot, where she says, let's get it straight, bub. Yeah. He's kind of like openly defying her and in front of the staff, not apologizing, you know, not seeing her point of view at all. Like, yeah, maybe that was kind of inappropriate, but I was just trying to keep the staff, you know, motivated and, and things like that. He is just defying her openly, you know, as the boss. But his his view on life is life's a party, which is true. And he noticed mm -hmm. that the staff were a little deflated, maybe. They were bored. She thinks that he's encouraged them to goof around instead of working. But he says, no, I've got yeah. a much higher purpose. You know, they were going to leave. I'm trying to raise spirits. They're unhappy. And you stopped them? <laughs> I know. They were going to leave. I know. But And then, again, you have to look from Maddie's point of view. She's the one paying the these employees that have yeah. no work to do. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's like um, if they want to leave, please. You know, there's the don't door. Stop them. There is the front yeah, door. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, if they're not gonna like hang in there and and uh, be as loyal to them like they are. You know, Maddie and David are to the employees, keeping them on a payroll that doesn't have much coming in. You know, if they're gonna leave and go try to find something else, well, goodbye. And we get another David, 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 Maddie, 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 mm -hmm. except he says Maddie four times. Oh, Maddie, Maddie. She's telling Maddie, him Maddie. that he's not mature. Of course, he has to pull his chest hair to show that he is. Oh, my gosh, I know. And her David, David, David is like with exasperation with her head in her hands, like David, yes. David, David. Yeah, almost is like, I can't do this, you know. 
No, uh, she's had it. Yeah. She's had it. Yeah. They're both very much at the end of the rope. So something has to change. She wants a business partner who is a mature adult. And That's she right. really she believes does. that he doesn't care about her or her business. And of course, he blocks her way out. Um, Wouldn't be moonlining without that, Grace. No, that's right. And he says, I don't know if you notice, he says, in a God da vida, you are so serious. Yeah. And in the commentary, Bruce asked Glenn if he could add that in. So there we go. There's an example of Bruce wanting to add something into the dialogue. And that's, yes, a throwback to his high school days. But sounds like you have some more information. Yeah, I have a bit few more information because I know about this song. This song was released in 1968 and it was released by Iron Butterfly. Now, <laughs> one of their band members, his name was Don Ingle, and this song is a really long song. It goes for about 17 minutes or something, and it's about Adam and Eve. So I'll explain the title of the song. The song was on their second album and the drummer, his name was Ron Bushy, and Doug Ingle, he wrote the song one night while he was drinking a lot of red wine. Apparently it was red mountain wine. He was so inebriated, right, but he wrote this song. So what happened was Doug played the song out for Bushy, Ron Bushy, who wrote down the lyrics for him, right, while he was singing it. Now, the thing was that... <laughs> Doug was slurring his words because he was so drunk, okay? And when he was saying it, he was singing in a Garda Vida. So, of course, Ron writes down in a Garda Garda Vida. But what he was actually saying was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, (laughs) How funny. Because the song was about Adam and Eve. So what they did, they just kept it in. So they just called it in a Garda Vida. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. That's, that's great. I had no idea. It's a funny story. So every time he mentions it, I just laugh. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. The reference will go a little deeper now. That's great. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Great. Yes. Well, this is kind of the breaking point in Maddie David's argument because he can see. It like now pushed her to the point, you know, where she's going to walk out and it's like, okay, you know what? This is going nowhere. You can't do this or whatever. It's so he has to block her way. Like things get taken down a notch. You know what I mean? Anger was very high. The frustration was very high between them, but he's now like, he's going to soften it. That's also because she says the only solution is dissolution. 
Yeah, there you go. Yes. Which to... is what she wanted to do in the pilot. So now he's scared out of his mind now. You are who you are and I am who I am. And the only solution is dissolution. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Dissolution, what is that, Brooklyn, for this solution? For this solution, yeah. <laughs> this solution. Uh, yes, that's what finally wakes him up. Uh-oh, mm. she's going to shut the company down like she's always that's threatening right. to do. That's right. <laughs> So that's when she's willing to bet that he cannot be an adult, a mature adult, for one week. Yeah. So anger kind of turns to a fun little bet. And it's an interesting choice of discussion considering the show is all about betting. Yeah, that's true. This show, it's always so layered, Grace. Things that <laughs> I didn't think about that before. Clark's in trouble because he's, he gambles and you know, mm. makes bets. And mm. now they have a bet. That he mm. can't be a mature adult. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the amount of money that she offers him? Um, that was a lot of money for 1985. Yeah. So Don't like, you think? $3,000 to act like a mature adult for, what was it, a week? Yeah, because she knows he's going to fail. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. To watch The Impossible, I think that's a bargain. Especially when they were in Buenos Aires two weeks ago. And they won $20,000 and were like dancing about it and thought that was a ton of money. And then, you yeah. know, she's just going to give him three. That's what I'm saying. Like this $100,000 that Sawyer, which that she was going to get back from Sawyer. Come on. Like, look how much money they got from Mrs. Graydon in this one episode. That's why those numbers, the money numbers never make sense to me. Um, <laughs> Not that they have to. The cut where she says to watch the impossible. I think that's a bargain. Now she walks towards the camera have a look at the lighting on her. It changes a couple of times as she's walking towards the camera. It's really good. She looks amazing. Mm. On what line? What line does she say? When she says to watch the impossible, I think that's a bargain. Oh. So when she says that, okay. she's walking towards the camera and, yeah, she looks fabulous. Not that she doesn't all the time anyway. Of course, he's in shock. Three grand. Oh, my God. Okay. He goes, this is going to be grand larceny. Now, this is the first time he says, oh, baby, to her. He calls her different mm. things throughout this episode, which I'll go into as we get to it. But, um, oh, baby, it's going to be grand larceny. I'll be a, a regular Lawrence Welk, tie my shoes, wear long pants. I might even take up the accordion. Now, when he says that, she's actually holding the lay like an accordion. Did you notice that? Okay. I didn't notice that she was holding it like an accordion, but mm. she's holding the lay. And here's like where Bruce is such a great actor. And well, they both are. But and I heard a, a director talk about this before where Bruce would sit and watch Sybil film her side. And then when they filmed his side, because remember, there's not two cameras. Yeah, they have to film her. Then they film him. Yeah. So it's hours later, probably. Mm -hmm. And he mimics her, you know, she's holding that lay. And then he goes, what I mean by mature Miss Hayes or whatever, you know, and he mimics her holding that lay back to her. But, you know, it's just great because it's like, it makes it look like he was just reacting to her in the moment, but he's really not. He's, you know, watched her and then like reacting in the moment hours later, which is to me, gosh, such amazing acting. Yes. I did notice that because he made like a, a gesture when he says mature yeah. Miss Hayes. Yes. yes. I always look at it and think she's holding it like a piano accordion. It's mm -hmm. right. It's just great acting. And they, and even though they're just doing that, the one person shot, they must have been there watching because 
it's too good to watch the gestures, oh, yeah. to react to those gestures hours later. To know how to react later. Yeah, it's pretty um, amazing. Yes, and just shows like how dedicated they both were to the show and the scenes and making it great. We've skipped over a very important part of this scene, though. Him pressing her against the door, the chemistry between the two of them. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if you want to show someone an example of chemistry between two actors, you just show this scene where she's standing against the door and he comes and leans closely into her. And again, you know, the two different angles from his side and her side and literally sparks are bouncing off the screen in that scene when he's saying, oh, you know, all you think about is sex, 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 no, Miss Hayes, you know, something Mm -hmm. more important, dignity. That whole scene, my gosh, how hot is it? The lighting too. I think that that really brings more out of it than if they were just standing there talking. Yeah, the lighting. And they're so close. They're so so close close to each other. And it's like she has nowhere to go. You know, he's backed her up against the door and he's like, very, he's very like in her face, but in a very kind of swoony way. And her eyes, the way she moves her eyes, Sybil's really good at doing that thing where she kind of like looks down, you know, blinks and looks up, which is kind of, you know, very flirty. She kind of is like even looking at his mouth, the gestures, you know, the, the flirtation in the moment. There's just so much in that, that one scene. But you know what? When he says something that really matters, she reacts and says, Keep dreaming, Addison. Oh, keep dreaming, Addison. You know what? She wasn't saying no. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and her mind went to sex. And that's what he was pointing out. He said, No, not that, Miss Hayes. All you, <laughs> all you think about is sex, sex, sex. It's something more than that, your dignity wants to humiliate her in front of the staff, <laughs> make her limbo. We're going to have to raise the stakes. More money? No, not money. Something that really matters. Keep dreaming, Addison. Oh, how childish and immature, Miss Hayes. Everything to you is sex, sex, sex. I'm after something that really matters. Like what? Your dignity. Excuse me. Hello, Maddie. Come on. How low can you go? What are you talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You out there in front of the employees, God, and everybody. Gosh, I mean, come on. This scene is like, again, classic moonlighting, but this scene is why viewers tune in every week. Yeah, it's so good. All of it, but that in particular, you know, the chemistry between them. That's what people want to see. I mean, I was really enjoying this scene because it's just like, you know, something that we don't get in later seasons is this. All viewers really want are the two of them in the office sparring and, <laughs> and sparring and fighting and yeah. sparking and yeah, like sparring and sparking. Basically. That's right. That's what Rona Barrett said. <laughs> you and Maddie are supposed to be fighting and romancing, courting and sparking. <laughs> and we get a lot of it here. It's just like, oh gosh, I mean, it makes me want to just hold on to it because I wish we got more of that in other seasons, you know, but we have to enjoy it while we've got it. Mm. Because it's quite a lengthy scene too. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It goes on for a while. Mm. There's a lot to it, and there's ups and downs. You know, it starts off really heated, and then it changes, and it gets a little sexy, and then they've got the bet, and it's kind of you know, and then he gets silly <laughs> with mm. his. We'll get to the next part with his like um, shake and. So I had to look up Lawrence Welk because I had no idea mm. who Lawrence Welk was. Okay, um, he was a American accordionist. 
Oh, he played the accordion. Oh, maybe that was a link to it. He was a band leader and television empresario who hosted the television program The Lawrence Welk Show from 1951 to 1982. His style came to be known to his large audience of radio, television and live performance fans and critics as champagne music. That's it. (laughs) That's all I got on Lawrence Welk. (laughs) Yeah, so Lawrence Welk would be a show that my grandparents would probably have on but it, you know, weekly, nightly, I don't know what, how often he was on, um, probably weekly or something. But yeah, Lawrence Welk, I'm sure, was uh, on the TV in my grandparents' house, probably as my mom was growing up and things like that, you know. So kind of, uh, I guess, 1950s Amer- Americana entertainment. I know who Lawrence Welk is, but I've never seen the show and I didn't see any of that growing up. So yeah, kind of a throwback to another era. You can now go to coffee.com slash podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam. Yes, that's right, a door slam. Some devoted Moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us. As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you can make. Maddie would be proud. Maddie's setting her rules for the bet. No fast talk and jive, none of that hip-hop slop you call English. I don't care if bears bear or bees bee. She goes, none of those sexist remarks. And he goes, about you or your whole gender? And she goes, you don't have a chance. I know. know. (laughs) It's so true, he doesn't. But you know what? She's right. He needs to set an example for the employees. Hey, Mad, they love me. He called her Mad. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say when you were talking about different little nicknames. Yeah, I think that's the one and only time he ever calls her Mad. Yeah. Which is really an appropriate nickname for her. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, they love you. They're underworked, overpaid, and have Murray the K for a boss. Now, do you know who Murray the K was? (laughs) If you know, you can explain. Otherwise, I had to I had to research who Murray the K was. Go on, because I don't know enough to explain. I think I looked it up before. Well, this guy, he was born in 1922, died in 82, professionally known as Murray the K. His name was Murray Kaufman. He was an influential New York City rock and roll impresario and disc jockey of the 1950s, 60s and 70s. During the early days of Beatlemania, he frequently referred to himself as the fifth Beatle. Oh, get over it. Yeah, that's what I reckon. (laughs) He thought a lot of himself, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. So Maddie also emphasises that he is no longer allowed to sing. Oh, hold the phone. Hold the phone, hold the phone. <laughs> now you're getting into the essence of my personality. One doo-wop and you lose. No more singing. Say what? You heard me. One doo-wop and you lose. Oh, hold the phone, hold the phone. Aren't we cutting a little bit deep here? I believe now we're going beyond the parameters of the bet. Now we are getting into the essence of my personality. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, gosh, he's a singer. And that that's when he says... You want me to stop singing? We're going to have to raise the stakes. And that's when she says more money. And he goes, no, not money, something that really matters, which we've already covered. Keep dreaming, Addison. No, your dignity. And she's like, what? Like, hello, can you go (laughs) in front of the employees? God and everybody. 
<laughs> yes. It's a great interaction here. She's sitting on his desk and she's like, well, what do I get? Moi. You out there in front of the employees, God, and everybody. And what do I get? What do you mean? When you lose, what do I get? Moi. The whole thing or just your head on a platter? I know. So they have such great banter back and forth to each other. I love so it. good. You know? He gives her a comeback, you know, the sexist remark, like, about you or your whole gender. And then, you know, she's, <laughs> Matt is intent for tat, like, uh, the whole thing or just your head on the platter. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, okay. So she agrees. Okay, fine. $3,000 in eye limbo. Fine. $3,000 in eye limbo. But when you lose, you will lay off every unnecessary employee. Oh, no. But Mm -hmm. the way she says, but you have to fire them, she is so excited when she says that. you got to fire them. You know, she's got, she has such great pleasure in saying this. (laughs) Because she's going to watch David step up. That's it. And, you know, she probably always has to take care of things like that. And he's mm. going to do it this time. And that's when she says, shake. Yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's too good. And now, I don't know about you, but when he shakes and then he touches his hair, strokes his hair back, I reckon he goes a little bit out of character and he's laughing and looking at somebody behind the scenes. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, I can kind of picture what you're saying. Yeah, I think he, I think he does laugh out of character a little bit there. I just had to get that last one out of my system. Oh gosh! And then he goes to shake again, and he pulls his hand away. Oh my gosh! Like she's oh, just sitting there, like God. rolling <laughs> her eyes at this point. They finally do shake on it, and then the pesto buzzes in. Does his best to be a mature adult, and he talks very deeply over the phone. And you know. Is he even holding up his end of the bargain here? Because he's being goofy. He's like going overboard with the. Um, yeah, seriously. He loses this bet so many times during the episode. It's not funny. I know. Yeah, it, it's really funny because certain things she overlooks because she says one do up and you're out. Okay, well, that's about the singing. But she's kind of saying like one screw up and you're out. But she lets a lot of things slide. I like how she goes up to him and says, I'm secretly hoping I'll lose this bet. Me too. Me too. And they've got a client. Oh, my gosh, a client. See, a client could have walked in. If Mrs. Graydon had gotten there half an hour earlier. She would not have been impressed. So Mrs. Graydon's put in Maddie's office and they you know, now need to enter Maddie's office. So David opens the door for Maddie and lets her walk first through the office. And she's praising him about, wait until you see, you know, maturity is its own reward. Mark my words, maturity is its own reward. Couple of days of acting like an adult. You wonder why you didn't do it sooner. I already am. (laughs) And him walking behind her and all of the little antics he's pulling are just so funny. Oh, my God. It's just hilarious, that scene. I could watch that over and over. It's so good. But what I also like is before they leave his office, he opens the door for her, mm-hmm. being very chivalrous. They're walking through the office. All the employees are laughing under their under their breath, and he's acting mm-hmm. like a clown. It's just typical David Addison, isn't it? It's hilarious. Like the hunchback, and he's like swinging his arms around. Yeah, I know. But you know what? David is always chivalrous. He's always opening her car door. He's always opening like her door. He's always, you know, he's, he's a gentleman. So the usual thing that happens on Moonlighting is they walk into Maddie's office and go to shake her hand and she doesn't put her hand out. (laughs) Maddie and David. Mrs. Graydon is very uppity. 
Did you notice the goof, which I'm sure you already know what it is? Was there a microphone? Nope. Oh, there might have been. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. One thing about the handshake and then tell us the goof, because I don't know if I I did notice that maybe when you pointed it out. Um, I just love Maddie and David's different reactions to her not shaking their hand. Like Maddie kind of pulls it away, like, you know, clasps her hands together. And this is my associate, David Addison. She didn't shake Maddie's hand, so David tries. And then when she doesn't shake his hand, he like folds his hand up like in a robotic way. Yeah. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) I I love that they both just get the same thing from her, you know, it's great. But uh, what was the goof, Grace? Do tell. It's so obvious. What do you think? Okay. What do you think? As they enter, Maddie walks in. What do you think? Her shoes. Her damn shoes. Oh, my gosh. Typical Sybil. Sybil, 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 Sybil. I don't know. Maddie, 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 Maddie. Sybil walks in and she's clearly, very clearly wearing white runners. Gosh, that's so funny. I don't think I ever noticed that in this scene. I've Mm. noticed it in a lot of other scenes, but that does not ring a bell. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, she would fight that as much as she could. And probably with newer directors, if she could get away with it as well. Mm. (laughs) Because uh, it yeah. is very quick, but you can see it clearly. And they probably mm-hmm. thought, okay, she walks through the door, Emily Graydon's in front of her on the chair, mm-hmm. and then you've got the desk. You can't see yeah. it. But a couple of seconds, you do see the shoes. This scene, um, Emily Graydon is completely ignoring David Addison. Yeah. Well, to that point, why did she find them and why did she book them? Because of Maddie. She was there because of Maddie. She said that specifically, like, I thought that you were like a woman of means or something like that, or a a woman that could understand. She said, um, I have a wealthy woman's problem. Right. And she thought Maddie could relate to it, having been a wealthy woman or something like that. And she's smoking in her office. I know, smoking on TV. The thing is, though, she only takes one puff and there's a cut behind Emily where she puts it out. And it's clearly a full cigarette. So she's taken one puff and put it out. Possibly because, oh, well, she probably thought she'd light a cigarette because she thought they might be a while. But now she's being polite by putting it out because they're there. Yeah, that's true. I know. It's so funny that we always notice these big crystal ashtrays, you know, they have on the desks and that big lighter that Agnes was holding. And this is why, because people want to sit there and smoke in the office. All right, so Emily begins to tell them the story about her son who has been kidnapped and the music begins, some devastating yeah. music. She tells them that he's 35 and, you know, and Maddie thinks, hang on, this, this is a matter for the FBI, it's a kidnapping. So Emily wants to negotiate for his life. He's a professional screw-up, you know, he's a concert pianist, but he's gifted with it. It's not really something he works at. He's a compulsive gambler, anything, anywhere. And she's come to the realisation that he actually enjoys losing, not winning. Right. And she says that she got a ransom note in her Times newspaper and they won $100,000. But I prefer to pay, you know, $75 or $50. And, of course, he goes out of his bet here saying, let's hear it for free enterprise. (laughs) Yeah, see, this is, yeah. He goes out of his bet a couple times here and she lets him get away with it. Yes, yes. I love Sybil's face while Mrs. Graydon is talking. Her face is like unbelievable that, you know, that face is like, are you serious? This woman is 
trying to negotiate with kidnappers instead of just paying the money that she already has to get her son back. I mean, mm. Maddie doesn't look pleased at all about this. But Emily Graydon would like to know that she has struck the best possible bargain mm-hmm. before she claims her merchandise. And she's going to pay Maddie and David $1 for every two they save her. Yes, but she's also going to pay them $5,000 for delivering the money. Again, they haven't said what their fees are. The client has decided yeah. how much they're going to pay. I know. Why, why is it always the client who decides <laughs> how much they're going to pay? It's so funny. It makes no sense. Yeah, so basically she's saying, whatever you save me, I'm going to give you half. She just says it in a different way. So she says, are you interested? And he goes, are you kidding? Do ducks do? <laughs> and he has to stop because Maddie looks at him. Yeah. Maddie's like, eh, nope. And that's funny. Again, she ignores him because he says that, isn't this great? Three adults having a mature conversation. And yes, she just completely ignores him and hands the photo of Clark over. She just doesn't acknowledge that he is there at all. Yeah, that's so funny because usually clients give him attention, you know, but yep, she doesn't give a crap about David Addison. She's kind of there to talk to Maddie. She thinks Maddie is more the one that can relate to her or something. I like Sybil and Bruce's body language here. Bruce sitting on the um, corner of the desk and Maddie is kind of like leaning very like kind of far over on the chair towards him. It's lovely. We love to see that. Love them sitting close. So Maddie says to Emily, we'll bring him back safely. And she says, we'll just bring him back cheaply. And as she walks out, do you notice her again? Her left lapel is turned in, not out. Yeah, I've noticed that before. There's a few things um, I noticed in this episode. One is her necklace. One strand, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's pulled tight, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's pulled tight. I don't know if you've noticed it, but yeah, something with the collar of her jacket. Yeah, she's wearing those beautiful freshwater pearls. Yeah. There's a scene in the car where it's loose and then it's back to normal, then it's loose and it's back to normal. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So multiple takes on that. Emily Graydon is played by Barbara Bain and she used to be a model. She was the first actress in the history of television to be awarded three consecutive Emmy Awards in 1967, 68 and 69. She was best remembered by the public for her role as Cinnamon Carter on Mission Impossible in 1966. And she used to be married to Martin Landau. I didn't know that. Hmm, There you go. No, I didn't know that. Oh, she's a lifetime member of the prestigious Actors Studio. Yeah, she took classes with Lee Strasberg at the Actors Studio, and that's where she met Martin Landau. So both of them starred on Mission Impossible. And she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 6767 Hollywood Boulevard on April 28, 2016. And you mm. won't believe this, Barbara is still working, God bless her. She is 90 years old. Wow. Yeah. Her career begins in 1958. She's five foot seven. It looks like mainly TV series. She was in Perry Mason. She was in 77 Sunset Strip in 63. I still love that. Mission Impossible from 66 to 69. She was in something called Grace. That must have been lovely. Oh, yeah. Best show ever. The last thing she did was in 2020, which was called On the Rocks, and it's just been announced that she's going to be starring in something called Something Happened, The Untold Story of Mice and Men. Oh, my gosh. Really? And she's won three primetime Emmy Awards. 
So Barbara Bain was born Mildred Fogel on September 13, 1931 in Chicago. How old would she have been in this episode? She's Um, 90 now. Yeah, probably in her 60s, don't you think? Late 50s, 60s? I think she was about 55 in this episode. Okay. Because she was born in 1931, so. She was young in this episode. 54. Gosh, really young. Bruce was very excited that she was on the show. I think he used to watch Mission Impossible. and Oh, he would have loved that. Yeah, he was really excited that she was on the show. So Barbara Bain on Moonlighting. All right, so the next scene, uh, Maddie's driving and they turn up to this apartment block and they have to go to 511. So do you want to talk about the location at all? I've been here, been to this location. Yes, very exciting. And I'll tell you how I found it. And um, Diana, who we had on um, a few episodes ago and um, interviewed, she and I went to this location together. It was something funny kind of happened. Okay, so um, during this scene, when Bruce is hanging onto the side of the car and it's driving down the street, I noticed that you could see an address in one of the buildings. So I, of course, Google the address, the street comes up, I look at Google Maps, the street view, and I see the building. It was like really easy to find. It's so funny how like a little investigation and you can like just find anything. (laughs) So this is when I lived in Los Angeles. So I told Diana about it. So she and I went, we found the building, parked out front, right where they are just like this. And we got out and we were just looking at the building. And suddenly this guy walks across the street and he starts walking towards the building and he goes, Oh, Diana. And it's someone that she knew. And he goes, Oh, what are you doing here? And she said, Oh, we're looking at this building. It was in a TV show that we used to watch. And he goes, Oh, well, I live here. Do you want to come in? (gasps) Get out of town. Yeah. Is that so funny? So yeah, he brought us into the building. So we, you know, just like David does walk up that path into the building. I mean, it looks very similar. Nothing's really been updated. All these buildings, you know, have been there forever and walked up the stairs, whatever. It may have been remodeled a little bit in the lobby or something, but exactly where he walks and goes in to the lobby there, everything exactly the same. And we went up to the roof. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. That's the cool thing about a lot of these moonlighting locations. Even though it's been years, Los Angeles doesn't change that much. You know, they don't knock things down and rebuild. They don't remodel a lot. They don't add to. It's really the same structures. So you can really kind of go back in time a little bit and be like, this is where Bruce entered. And this is where he was up on the uh, rooftop and all of that. And there's a beautiful view of Los Angeles from up there. I think I you know, have some pictures of it and, and things like that. So really fun and just weird timing that we got there right when Diana knew somebody and he loved us in and we saw the building. So there you go. That is amazing. That is so good. What are the chances? That's so good. And you get to go inside and on the roof. Yes, on the roof and everything. And took us up there and we stayed there for a while. Do you have photos of yourself in front of the building? Uh, Probably. You know what? Let me take a look. I must. I mean, I took pictures in all these locations that we went to. So, um, yeah, I will send you some pictures, Grace, and Mm. post them on the website if any of them are of interest, or maybe Diana has some. Uh, Yeah, I definitely have photos. I mean, I know. I remember taking a photo of standing up on the roof and things like that. So I will find them. Now, this is a lovely scene in the car. He is genuinely worried for her safety, and he calls her honey. I know. And, you know, in the commentary, when he hears himself say honey, he goes, oops. Oh, <laughs> I know. Oh, I don't really? know if that was a, yeah, I don't know if that was a, a Bruce or a David or what, because 
you know, recently we've been watching that footage of just Sybil and Bruce interacting and he calls her honey in that as well. Might have been like more of a Bruce thing. Yeah, I did think it was strange because he says, if anything ever happened to you, honey, he says it very quickly and you could miss it if you weren't listening intently. Yes. And she finally agrees, but he's really worried that if something happens, they could be armed, they could be extremely dangerous. Who knows? Also, the theme of sexism comes up. David, (laughs) very big topic in um, the 1980s, sexism and all of that. Yeah. But he says, if anything ever happened to you, honey, then I'd rather it happen to be, God, what does he say? Something about his thick neck and her thin neck. Yes. His thick neck, that it's best if it happens to his thick neck and, you know, rather than her thin one or whatever he says. The thick neck is a joke, definitely an inside joke because- they did an interview on Good Morning America and Sybil jokes to him about his thick neck. This is the one that they did in 85, September 85, not the one that we've been looking at yeah. during every daughter's father is a virgin. So during that interview, Sybil touches Bruce's neck and jokes about having a thick neck and Bruce laughs and says, thick neck, thank you. And Sybil goes, I'm just joking. Someone told him he had a thick neck. So I'm joking about that. So. Somehow, you know, probably in wardrobe, he was measured and someone told me I had a thick neck. So I think that was definitely like an inside joke that they then put into this episode. What a great yeah, bit I th- of I think- <laughs> I'm full of them today, aren't I, Grace? You're full of them. I'll just stop talking and just let you complete the rest of the podcast, okay? No, 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 no. I need you. <laughs> but I, I got to add my little tidbits in. That is so good. Because, you know, they did put in little little inside jokes about them in real life and stuff you can the more you get to know about the world outside of the moonlighting world the more you can see how how glenn would do that every once in a while yeah slip those in yeah Yeah. and a lot of shows have done that there you go more trivia Mm -hmm. see what else i can come up with okay i'm sure you will so he talks her into it she stays in the car and of course he breaks the bet as he's walking to the building singing limbo as he's singing the limbo, as he's walking into the building, he's actually talking about Maddie. He says she's got to go under the limbo stick. The girl go under limbo stick. Mm. <laughs> I love it because he's acting like a mature adult to her. But as soon as he turns his back to her, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the lift is out of order and he's got to go to room 511. He goes up the stairs finds the room but how does he know that that door is 511 because i don't see any numbers on the door yeah i don't know i don't know i didn't get that but anyway so he gets the ransom note which says down the chute hmm? <laughs> look out look that. out look, look out kidnappers here it comes over the lips through the gums the kidnappers here it comes oh my god so so immature david <laughs> yes but i do love just the notes and the you know down the shoot and these little things yeah it's just so it's a funny note he does the clever thing by going to the roof uh to see yeah. if the kidnappers come out screams at maddie she's doing her makeup she's oblivious to what's going on she's like what 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 did i just hear something He's, I know she did her makeup. I love that. Oh my God. So funny. He's like, Maddie, Maddie. Like, seriously, Maddie, you could have kept a lookout. You know what I'm saying? He comes running down the fire escape because he notices the guy with the bag. 
He gets her to turn the car around. He tries to get in the car. She's already driven off. He's holding onto the door. Turn the wheel and hit the brakes. Go get who? Go get him. Go out, What are you doing out there? Get in this car. Turn the wheel and hit the brakes. Not until you get in this car. Turn the wheel and hit the brakes. <laughs> I know. She's fighting him on it. Turn the wheel and hit the brake. And I love her scream as she turns the car. <laughs> it's so good. Oh. And they don't look very upset that they've just run over a guy. <laughs> they sit there and joke. Mom, will you read me a story before I go to bed? Yeah, no worries. Mom, can you read me a story? They get out of the car and they oh. just walk over, you know. Oh, yeah, there's a guy lying dead on the ground. Don't worry about it. No blood. But did you notice a goof in this scene? No, <laughs> you're, full of, you're full of goofs and I'm full of trivia. That's why we're a great team, my love. So when she turns and hits Clark, the bumper of the car is totally broken. It's actually hanging off the car. Mm. But when they get out of the car and come to talk to Clark, it's intact again. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, so they must have had a couple of BMWs. Yeah, I think they had a couple of BMWs that they used because this one, whew, you should see it. When you go back and watch it again, the bumper is actually hanging off the car. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> and then it's just totally put back on. How funny. Or oh, they've got another car. Oh, they might have had two cars there. Who knows? So they realise that it's Clark. And that's the other goof I noticed too there. I slow-moed the guy falling off, which, by the way, he looks like him. It's quite good. He lands, but when they find Clark, he's facing a different way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, I want you to explain something to me. So they've just realised he's the kidnapper. Wouldn't you grab him by the scruff of the neck and take him back to Emily? Why did they go back to the theatre so he could play for them? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that is true. Like, why did they? Well, I think he caught them off guard a little bit. Like, they thought that they were going to catch the kidnapper. Then it's Clark. Maybe they had to go somewhere close by, I don't know. So he could explain why it's him and not kidnappers and all everything that's happened, mm. right? They are, they're thrown off because they expected to catch kidnappers and now they've got Clark and yeah, that's kind of confusing. So they think, okay, well, let's go to the theater so he can play and he can explain his side of the story. He says, well, I guess I'm a better piano player than a kidnapper, huh? Um, <laughs> Did you notice when they were getting up on stage, David sort of makes a gesture for her to go first? Yes. Yes, I did. Of course I did, Grace. I think that's Bruce, though. I think that's Bruce being goofy. He does like a little lean forward like you first, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I just found it a funny gesture. I don't know whether he was trying to make her go first or whether she just went first. It was a funny little body language that happened there but anyway it was it's very quick you probably miss mm-hmm. it yeah not paying attention so anyway maddie asked why did you take the risk clark couldn't go to her anymore for money he went to her so many times and she was gonna go crazy he had to get a different way yeah okay so maddie tells clark that his stepmother had hired them to negotiate a lower ransom for his life now right. His reply is, oh, you're kidding. You're kidding. David says, well, the incentive is the lower the price, the bigger the bonus for them. Yeah. 
And I love what he says next. Mom is nothing if not a great motivator. Oh, my God. I love that line. It cracks me up every time. It's so funny. Really? He's oblivious to the situation and he just goes right off the subject. <laughs> like his mum's a great motivator. It's hilarious. Yeah. And, of course, Manny's going, I hate to spoil the party, guys, but, you know, <laughs> we have a problem. Yeah, that's true. Clark has a different option. Either, yeah, you tell her the truth or we come to some sort of arrangement. And Clark is more than willing. Yeah, like, hate to say it, but Clark does make sense here. He's saying, well, he's financially bankrupt, but he's morally bankrupt as well. To extort the money from the woman that brought him up, raised him as an infant, raised him Mm. to manhood, even though he's not her natural son. So he shows a lot of remorse here. Oh, he knows he's being a scumbag. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thank you for listening to My Fair David Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.